What is the meaning of the buffetings of Satan? Next on Polygamy, what love is this? Today, Bishop Earl and I are going to discuss a couple of unique teachings of Mormonism that are completely misused, abused, and present the wrong idea of biblical truths. First, we want to discuss the negative and scare tactics used to control members, both in polygamy groups as well as the LDS Church. It is their threat of the buffetings of Satan. From the Encyclopedia of Mormonism, we read their definition. An individual who receives extensive spiritual knowledge enters into sacred covenants and then turns away from those promises to the Lord may be left to the buffetings of Satan until complete repentance has occurred. This sin differs in nature and category from one committed in ignorance. Elder Bruce R. McConkie, a Latter-day Apostle, explained that to be turned over to the buffetings of Satan is to be given into Satan's hands. It is to be turned over to him with all the protective power of the priesthood, of righteousness, and of godliness removed, so that Lucifer is free to torment, persecute, and afflict such a person without let or hindrance. When the bars are down, the cuffs and curses of Satan, both in this world and in the world to come, bring indescribable anguish typified by burning fire and brimstone. The damned in hell so suffer. Ooh. Oh, yeah. So, so the buffetings of Satan refers to punishment for the violation of covenants according to Mormonism. The Bible dictionary tells us that buffet or buffeted is from the root word to chastise or punish. So according to the Bible, buffeting would be chastisement or punishment. But Mormons admittedly do not use the term from a biblical perspective. We quote a threat of the buffetings of Satan from the Mormon scriptures. Yeah, Doctrine and Covenants, sections 78, 11, and 12. Wherefore, a commandment I give unto you to prepare and organize yourselves by a bond or everlasting covenant that cannot be broken. And he who breaketh it shall lose his office and standing in the church and shall be delivered over to the buffetings of Satan until the day of redemption. That's kind of a scary passage, isn't it? It is. (laughs) And section 132 of their Doctrine and Covenants is their polygamy revelation. And verse 26 threatens anyone who commits any sin or transgression of the new and everlasting covenant, which is polygamy, will be destroyed in the flesh and delivered unto the buffeting of Satan. Mm -hmm. By the way, there are no sacred covenants that we are commanded to make or are required to make or supposed to make with God in the New Testament era. The New Testament means new covenant. There's only one new covenant, and that's in the New Testament or covenant that Jesus Christ paid for our sins on the cross for those whose faith is in him alone for eternal life. And if you add your own works into it, you have not entered into the new covenant of grace. And this new covenant was made by Jesus Christ, not us. We are not involved in making or keeping the covenant. We either receive or reject it, and that's it. There are no other covenants that we are supposed to make with God. Hmm. 
And the Mormons do that all the time, yeah. as the polygamists do. Yep. From a question and answer website about Mormonism, we learn how the regular member understands the buffetings of Satan. Yes, this is a website called Mormon Haven. It is true they can eventually enter into their exaltation, but if they do commit sin against the marriage covenant, the most important one being that of adultery, they must repent of that sin, and then during this life and after death, they will have to experience some suffering for the sin or the buffetings of Satan before they are exalted. Repentance is not mentioned in verse 26 of section 132, but according to many other scriptures on the subject, it is certainly required. Even though Christ indeed atoned and suffered for our sins so that we would not have to suffer eternally for them, we will still have to suffer through some torment and anguish in this life and in the spirit world for a period of time for a sin as grievous as adultery against the marriage covenant. To avoid this suffering, it is important for temple married people to remain clean of grievous sins, especially adultery, and seek forgiveness for all sins we do commit. Okay, now, <laughs> this, there are several things that are wrong with this explanation. Yeah. And the first thing, of course, is that all sins are a capital offense against God, not just adultery. God gave the command to Adam and Eve not to eat of the fruit of the tree, and to eat of it would be death. Well, that's a capital offense. That was just fruit. <laughs> yeah. That, right. Yeah. And, and there are no levels of sin that will or will not keep us from heaven. Second, there is no punishment for sins in the spirit world before the sinner is released into a place of glory. That's pretty frightening to think about, actually. When we trust Jesus for our redemption, we will not suffer in the spirit, spirit world for our sins. If you're in Christ or have entered into the new covenant with Christ, Jesus suffered your punishment, and God doesn't punish both Jesus and you for the same sin. Sins are not punished twice. At death, we go to one of two places, and that's where we stay for eternity. Hebrews 9.27 says it is appointed for one, a man to die once, yeah. and then they, he faces judgment. And a very clear example is found in Luke 16. Verses 22 through 26. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up. Lift up his eyes, being in torment, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest receivedest all thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. No second chance. No. No spirit prison. <laughs> no opportunity to accept the Mormon gospel. No buffetings of Satan. Even the Book of Mormon teaches that if we all die, if we die unrepentant of sin, the devil will seal us to him. So where does Mormonism get the idea of a second chance? 
where does it come from? I, I, how can, when the scriptures say it's not even true, and the Bible yeah. says it, how can true revelation deny or contradict itself? Luke 16, many say, the passage that Earl just read, is just a parable and not the real thing. Yeah. But Jesus taught truth through parables. Jesus said there's a great gulf fixed, immovable, so that no one can pass between the torment of where the rich man ended up and the bliss of where Lazarus is now spending eternity. The Mormon threat of the buffetings of Satan is not valid. It's derived from some sadistic idea they call revelation. <laughs> Don't let them manipulate you with so many empty threats and fears. Some time ago, I met with a lady who had left the FLDS, and we had a great afternoon talking, comparing doctrine that each of us had been taught in our respective polygamy group background. She gave me a small pamphlet, and it's entitled To the Buffetings. And this oh. is the pamphlet, little pamphlet, you know, it's just very small. Yeah. And she said that the polygamous men would give this pamphlet to young girls to scare them away from entertaining the idea of escaping. Their threat of the buffetings of Satan is chilling and false, wow. but very effective. It's supposed to be based on a woman's experience who fled their religion and suffered tremendously as a result. And you read through it, and it is. It's just hair-raising, you know. But it can't, it's not God. God doesn't work this way. As an example, we quote from this little yeah, pamphlet. This is from page three of this pamphlet. Sexual looseness and impurity in any degree is an evil. The saints should guard against these evils at the cost of their lives, if necessary. Too much emphasis cannot be placed on the fact that sorrow will come upon those who break their covenants. The marriage covenant is of such a divine and enduring nature that God will go to extreme lengths to protect its sanctity and punish beyond our imaginations any disregard or breaking of the covenants involved. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, fear. Is there that much fear that they instill yeah. for those who are married for eternity? Sounds like it. Well, what did Jesus say? Yes, in John 8, 1 through 11, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. And said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Neither do I, neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Nice. Well, that was a, that. Now, this was adultery. So, there, yeah. you know, the man wasn't there, but the woman was. Yeah. And she was caught. And Jesus didn't condemn her. No. The Mormons do. Yeah. Polygamists do. Why? There's no threat of the buffetings of Satan. No. By, by, no, Jesus. by Jesus. 
And he, there's no sermon of condemnation to this woman. There's no eternal aspect of marriage or covenants that she broke in Jesus's response to her and no threats of extreme punishment of God that polygamists threaten their women with. Yeah. None. Do you ever got, did, did you ever response, read anything really? like this in the Mormon church to see the grace and the love of Jesus and to, toward the sin yeah. that they condemn so heartily? I mean, it's there in the Bible if you read it. Yeah. But, but yeah, I, I mean, I was aware of this story and uh, I thought it was, you know, it, it was a wonderful story and he just gave her a second chance and to go and sin no more. But we don't do that, right? Jesus did it, but we don't do that. Right. We have more from the pamphlet from page three. Yes, the Lord will not always come to the rescue of those who willfully and with premeditation allow themselves to be tempted along these lines. The Lord frowns upon covenant breaking and withdraws his spirit from those who do so. Now, there's another empty threat. threat. Yeah, another <laughs> yeah. empty threat, but it's, it, they're effective. These threats are very, very effective. Especially to a young girl who's impressionable and getting this from a, a leader or someone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure this would have great impact on them. It does, but Earl, you know, I have, I have helped a lot of people, not just from polygamy, but also from the Mormon church, yeah. uh, come out of Mormonism, and they have ex- expressed their, their fear of the buffetings of Satan. Yeah. Those who come out of oh, the Mormon yeah. church no. because they've been threatened with the buffetings of Satan as yeah. well, not just the polygamists. Yeah, if you don't keep the commandments or you break your covenants or whatever, you, there's a threat. And, and you know what? There Again, there's no covenants that we make with God while we're here and then expected to keep them. He makes a covenant yeah. and then we enter into it. And right. it's, it's the cross that is the bloodshed for the covenant. Right. And we either enter into it or we refuse to, yeah. but we don't make covenants with God. And and for them to say, you know, to say all of this and then threaten them with the buffetings of Satan and then withdraw his spirit where Jesus said that once the Holy Spirit has been given to us, he's a gift that God gives us when we have saving faith. He will never leave us, that he will be with us forever. He says he will never leave you. And the Mormons threaten that they'll leave him all the time. The love of God is... uh... Yeah. Height and depth and, yeah. And, you know, if the Mormon and polygamous communities just knew their Bibles, they couldn't be hoodwinked in believing these lies and the nonsense about God. God is good. He's patient. He's our Savior. And He doesn't encourage or condone sinful behavior, but He does forgive those who will trust Him and follow His way rather than the way of religion. In fact, Matthew 23, Jesus rebuked religious leaders who teach wrong things about God and a false gospel. They rely on tactics of fear to control members, but God uses the tactic of love. Yeah, and this is really well said in 1 John 4, 16 and 18. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives drives out fear. And that right now just throws out all the fear that religious leaders and, and all these false threats. religions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all these threats. Because God draws us with love, not with fear. There's no fear in God's perfect love. Hmm. So isn't that more effective? You'd think it would be more effective than Mormonism's awful threats. That's all I got when I grew up was these threats of God. I, I, I just hated him. By the time I left, I hated him. Well, these awful things they I said. I mean, I guess uh, as a good... Latter-day Saint, I was always 
aware of the eggshells I was walking on. Yeah, if I, yeah. If I messed up, I was going to be, I better go repent real fast mm -hmm. or something. And, <laughs> and don't die on the way repenting. Yeah, you might be in right. trouble here. <laughs> I, I certainly didn't understand grace and the sacrifice of the right. Jesus that way. And, and the gospel of grace is what the biblical gospel is. And there's no buffetings of Satan for you to be fear, afraid of if you're in the gospel of grace. None at all. Now, our next topic, the second one, is sacrificing in the LDS temples. A viewer had asked a question, and he suggested that we discuss both the question and the answer on one of our programs. He's an ex-Mormon, mm. and he said that he was told by a Mormon leader that the LDS church would resume animal sacrifices in their temples during the millennium. He wondered if we had been taught that and would we discuss it on, on one of our programs. Now, we love to have questions from our viewers so that we can spend time to answer yeah. them. So were you taught that there would be blood sacrifices in the Mormon temples? I didn't ever relate it to the millennium, but I was, I mean, I was under the impression that we, would, we were having a full restoration of all things. And so it wouldn't surprise me or wouldn't surprise me that at some point we would have animal sacrifices. Hmm. But I don't believe, uh, I mean, I, I wasn't taught that specifically. I don't think anybody ever talks about that. Yeah. But uh, that was my impression that, yeah, that we, we were having a restoration of all things, and that was one of the and things that, was that one of them. have to be restored. Yeah. Uh, in, in my growing up, I, if they taught it, I was somewhere else. I didn't hear it. <laughs> I didn't listen to it. I don't ever remember being taught anything like that at all. Yeah. But again, that doesn't say they didn't teach it. It's just that I wasn't listening if they did. Yeah. Well, I, I guess it was just the fact that we were having a full restoration. That's what Joseph Smith said that he was doing. Mm -hmm. and that animal mm -hmm. sacrifice was... Okay, so let's that. let's read what yeah. some of the early Mormon prophets said about animal sacrifices. And I do know that I've read some of these quotes that you've you've identified so many times. So I'm, um, I know I'd read these, and that's probably what I believe. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You want me to start with yeah, one? Uh, Wilford Woodruff. Yeah, this first one with of Wilford Woodruff in his journal. LDS President Wilford Woodruff recorded the following information given to him in a meeting with Brigham Young. This is crazy. Under the pulpit in the west end of the Salt Lake Temple will be a place to offer sacrifices. There will be an altar prepared for that purpose so that when any sacrifices are to be offered, they should be offered there. Now, whether or not there Ooh. was one there, who knows? Know. You know, I haven't talked to anybody who really knows or will say so if they do yeah, know. Yeah, right. So M Mormon temples were not only for the practice of ceremonial endowments and eternal marriage ceilings, which, by the way, are totally unbiblical and against <laughs> what Jesus taught, but they are evidently to provide a place for blood sacrifice, according to Wilfred Woodruff. Uh, I mean, they must have had the same thinking, was that there was going to be a restoration of animal sacrifices. Well, let's see what Joseph Fielding Smith said. Uh, yes, in the Doctrines of Salvation. And this is why I know I've read this before, because I've read all those. Now, in the nature of things, the law of sacrifice will have to be restored, or all things which were decreed by the Lord would not be restored. It will be necessary, therefore, for the sons of Levi, who offered the blood sacrifices anciently in Israel, to offer such a sacrifice again to round out and complete this ordinance in this dispensation. Sacrifice by the shedding of blood was instituted in the days of Adam, and of necessity will have to be restored. 
The sacrifice of animals will be done to complete the restoration when the temple spoken of is built. At the beginning of the millennium or in the restoration, blood sacrifices will be performed long enough to complete the fullness of the restoration in this dispensation. Afterwards, sacrifice will be of some other character. Okay, so it's coming, according to him. It's coming. Claims that it will come in order to complete the restoration. Yeah, another little thought I had about this when you asked the question was that when I partook of the sacrament, I kind of sensed in my mind, at least at some points, that the breaking of the bread, that was the flesh of Jesus Mm -hmm. symbolically, and that that breaking was uh, a a fleshly sacrifice, if you Mm -hmm. will, not... Not that we were partaking of his flesh. We right, don't, right. Mormons don't believe that. Yeah. But just that that was a symbol symbolism of mm-hmm. his uh, the sacrifice that he made by breaking the bread. Right. The breaking, breaking of his body. Bread. Right. Um, so so based on what he said here in doctrines of salvation. Yeah. Um, they are either doing blood sacrifices now. Or they will. In secret. Yeah. Or a restoration by Joseph Smith never took place. Oh. Okay. <laughs> well, he does say that it could be in the millennium, at the beginning of the millennium. So, Okay, so a restoration never took place. Well, the full restoration right. didn't take place. Right. Yeah, you're right. 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 Yeah. But what did Jesus say? Because well, it doesn't matter what Joseph Smith said or what Brigham Young or Wilfred Woodruff or any polygamist or LDS man has to say. The only thing that is important is what Jesus said. Yeah, that's for sure. And in Matthew five seventeen through 18, he said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So Jesus fulfills. Yeah. Not Joseph Smith. That's an important... Not Mormonism. Jesus fulfilled the law of sacrifice. He died on the cross. He fulfilled it. He said, it is finished. It's done. Mormonism cannot add anything else to Jesus' fulfillment. When they try, it's only dead works. Joseph Smith restored nothing. Mm. Jesus, Jesus did it, and he did it all, and he did it perfectly, and there's nothing left for salvation but trust, have faith in his work being completed, and receive the work that he has completed for us. We have another quote from the First Presidency. Yeah, so don't have a year on this, but um, so I'm not sure who the group was, but mm. it says, The members of the church are reminded that the practice of polygamous or plural marriage is not the only law whose suspension has been authorized by the Lord and adopted by the people. And see how they get out of some of their problems. The law of animal sacrifice in force in ancient Israel has been suspended. But the prophet Joseph asserted it would be again restored, and such is the effect of the statement made by John the Baptist when restoring the Aaronic priesthood. The law of the United Order has likewise been suspended to be reestablished in the due time of the Lord, other laws might be mentioned. So here they go around suspending all these laws that they made. And it's so convenient <laughs> yeah. to suspend a law that is inconvenient for them. That's right. And, 
and there's so many unbiblical laws that Mormonism has instituted and then suspended and is just, and will be come back later some of them. Yeah. Uh, but Jenny, Jesus didn't suspend; he fulfilled. We have another quote. Yeah, this is from the Journal of Waddle Mace from the Harold B. Lee Library. The Quorum of the Twelve had been filled, but of the number selected, one, Willard Richards, was in England, and Joseph was instructing those present of that quorum how they must proceed to prepare themselves that they might ordain Willard Richards to the apostleship when they should reach that country. Joseph told them to go to Kirtland and cleanse and purify a certain room in the temple that they must kill a lamb and offer a sacrifice unto the Lord, which should prepare them to ordain Willard Richard, a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. Sidney made some remarks, Sidney Rigdon, when Joseph spoke with great power and spirit, said he, I know the law. To a remark made by Heber C. Kimball, he said, it will be the sweetest smelling savor you ever smelled. So there's some kind of a there's sacrifice being planned there yes. at any rate. And did yeah. they ever really sacrifice a lamb in, in the Kirtland Temple? Never heard uh, one way or the other. <laughs> it, it obviously was a plan that was, yeah. and, and it very well may have taken place, and That's it just true. hasn't been recorded. But yeah. we do know that Joseph Smith did sacrifice a sheep during one of his yeah. midnight treasure hunting I rituals. Read that. Yeah. Now, viewers may discover several instances where a Mormon important person has said that sacrifice, sacrifices are over because Jesus was the final sacrifice and there will be no more. And that's true. But for the loyal Mormon and fundamentalist, it was the original Mormon prophets who themselves said what we just quoted. Both cannot be true. <laughs> They cannot be more and then Good not point. be more. Yeah. Now, a concluding quote on this topic is from the website on the screen, mit.irr.org, and it's written by biblical scholar Robert Bowman and is very good closing comments for this. And I just lost it. Sorry, I'll be right there. Thus, he, Joseph Smith, stated in that 1840 sermon that sacrifices would be offered again when the temple of the Lord shall be built. The big picture, then, is that in Smith's teachings, the people of God in the Restoration need to have the temple, priesthood, and ordinances of the ancient Israelites fully restored, even including animal sacrifices. It is a surprising claim, but it becomes less surprising when one looks at the idea in the context of Joseph's broader restorationist theology. What remains very surprising is that LDS leaders and teachers have given this claim so little attention. Part of the reason for this neglect may simply be that the idea of animal sacrifices has little appeal in modern society. Getting married in a beautiful temple ceremony is one thing. Sacrificing a calf on an altar is quite another. Perhaps a more significant reason for the neglect of this teaching of Joseph Smith, however, is that LDS leaders and teachers recognize that the idea of a restoration of animal sacrifice is highly problematic. Such an idea detracts from the completeness and finality of Jesus Christ's once-for-all sacrifice on the cross for our sins. Yet Mormons can scarcely take the position that Joseph Smith was wrong on this matter. His doctrine of a restoration of animal sacrifice, then, is something Mormons would be hard-pressed to affirm or deny, which may explain why few have said anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> and I believe that he's got, 
he's got that in a nutshell yeah, there. Robert's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, he is. And of course, that's just another instance of questionable teachings that are foundational to Mormonism's claims of being a restoration when the only true church on the planet, and it's a false church and a false restoration. I so I hope understand. we answered our viewers' question. Yeah, I think we did. <laughs> Thank you, Earl. You bet. My closing time uh, quotes this time are quoted from 1 John 3, 8, which says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. The devil's work, according to Mormonism, includes torment and buffeting. But Jesus destroyed the devil's work when he died for our sins and defeated death in his resurrection. No one needs to fear the awful threats of false religion. All they need to do is trust Jesus and flee to him alone for protection, forgiveness, and eternal life. Love is God's way. Threats and fear is not God's way. Thank you for watching. This has been the audio podcast of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. Polygamy, What Love Is This? is produced by A Shield and Refuge Ministry. More information on this program, including the video version of it, can be found at whatloveisthis.tv. If you have any questions or need help getting free from Mormon fundamentalism, write us at contact at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 1-800-877-425-9993.